0: Bozeman has played a prominent role in avalanche safety in the United States. Before working for the National Avalanche Center, Carl Berkland founded the Gallatin National Forest Avalanche Center in 1990. It's Carl Burkland, and I am the director of the National Avalanche Center for the Forest Service. You know, avalanches kill more people on national forests than any other natural hazard. And so that's why the Forest Service is in the uh, business of avalanche safety. Before I worked for the National Avalanche Center, I actually started the Gallatin National Forest Avalanche Center back in 1990. Yeah, yeah. So Bozeman has a really um, prominent role uh, in terms of avalanche safety in the United States. Back in the 1960s or so, there were kind of two places where a lot of the avalanche work was going on, and that was either in Alta, Utah or in Bozeman, Montana. And in fact, um, Bozeman was the host to the very first uh, International Snow Science Workshop. In 1982, John brought together, John Montaigne brought together a bunch of his students and they actually organized the first uh, International Snow Science Workshop. They brought in um, their speakers from all over the world that came here. And, um, and then that workshop's gone on every other year uh, since then. The main tool that we have to try to mitigate avalanche danger is through information and education. So it's providing avalanche, uh, the most up-to-date avalanche information through avalanche forecasts and avalanche warnings, and then also to provide avalanche education opportunities. These avalanche forecasts, you know, are, are provided on a daily basis. Um, You can get all this information through avalanche.org. That's the main sort of clearinghouse for all the avalanche centers. And, um, you know, you get a United States map and you can click on different parts of the map to uh, get your local avalanche forecast. So when we look around the western U.S., for example, we have different snow climates. Um, You know, we have a coastal snow climate and in a coastal snow climate, we tend to get avalanches just when we get a lot of new snow added. We don't have as many persistent weak layers. Occasionally we can have persistent weak layers, but typically we don't. Um, And then you have more of a continental snow climate, like if you go to Colorado where you've got really high elevations, lots of wind, relatively shallow snow, lots of uh, weak basal areas. And then we have sort of intermountain areas between the two that can go back and forth between a more continental and a more coastal snowpack. And then even within our own area here around Bozeman, we're considered to be an intermountain zone. But if you look at the different snow in different areas, like some of the, some of the zones around Big Sky, they get less snow, they're colder temperatures, they tend to um, get a lot of wind, and it really mimics more of a continental snowpack and then maybe you go down to Cook City on a year where we're getting a whole lot of snow and it's just snowing and snowing and snowing and you're not forming much weak layer and you might have almost a coastal type of snow. So you can have variations from year to year, but but the bottom line is if you're getting training, you really want training for the area where you're traveling. Training from people that are are knowledgeable about the kind of snow that you're dealing with. And the kinds of avalanche problems that you're likely to um, expect or likely to find uh, when you go out backcountry skiing in those areas. Probably the most important thing for everybody going into the backcountry is just to get some general avalanche awareness training to start with. So, and you can get that really inexpensively. You know, here in Bozeman, the Gallatin National Forest Avalanche Center does free awareness trainings. They're just like an hour long. That's a good start. Also in Bozeman, we're really lucky that the Avalanche Center does these beginning workshops with field sessions that are like two evenings and then a field day. And they're gonna do that all virtually this year. After you get sort of that base knowledge, maybe buy a book, read about avalanches and everything else, then it's time to maybe step into the different uh, levels of avalanche education you can get And so you might go for a recreational level one course. The American Avalanche Association kind of defines what those courses are like. And if you go to avalanche.org, the American Avalanche Association has a list of providers that teach those courses. The great thing about avalanche.org is it's a portal for a lot of the avalanche information you want whether it's you know an avalanche education course or an avalanche forecast you know it'll give you the all the links that you need to get around and and figure out what you need it's a great thing about our community here around the country there are different sort of zones where you've got a fair amount of people interested in avalanches there's not a strong university presence for doing avalanche research at any major university, you know, there might be a person here and a person there and a person here, but Bozeman is the place where we have not only people doing active avalanche research, we also have the National Avalanche Center, we have the Gallatin National Forest Avalanche Center, then we have Big Sky Bridger, Yellowstone Club, all of us coordinate also with some of the other ski areas in our area too. A strong community of both academics and practitioners. Um, there's nothing quite like Bozeman. They have to sort of be aware of what, what their activity is and how that activity mixes with avalanche train. So for example. If you're just going cross-country skiing, I mean, my folks used to cross-country ski for years, three-pin bindings, wood skis. Obviously, there's not too many people skiing on wood skis besides maybe me. But, you know, you're you're going up to, say, Fawn Pass or something. And really, the only thing that those people need to know about avalanches, they need to be able to recognize what avalanche train is and then avoid it. As long as you avoid avalanche train all the time, then you don't have to worry about avalanches you don't have to worry about avalanche forecasts you don't have to worry about beacons probes shovels all the rest of it if you're taking that next step now you want to go telemark down that steep slope or you get your alpine touring gear and you're obviously going into slopes steeper than 30 degrees or you're going underneath slopes that are steeper than 30 degrees now you're going into avalanche train absolute most important piece of equipment that you can get beyond a beacon and a probe and a shovel if you're going into avalanche train is an inclinometer and they make a lot of different inclinometers. I mean, I've seen those things on the ski poles. They're a little bit funky. You know, they make like really simple little inclinometers that are like this big that you can put on the snow surface, you know, all the way up to real expensive kind of high techy types of things. Uh, your phone. A lot of there's apps on your phone now that you can measure measure the angle with. People have to make sure they're measuring the angle in degrees and not percent, because okay. um, they'll talk about sometimes your phone will measure measure angles in percent and that's not what you want. If you want degrees. Anything steeper than 30 degrees that is relatively open. So even though it might have trees on it, but if it's open enough that you could. Downhill ski through it okay, it's avalanche train You need to get the gear, so beacon probe shovel, you need to get the forecast, so you need to be reading the avalanche forecast every day and seeing how the conditions change to get the training and the gear and the and the forecast. You know, I can't overemphasize enough how important that slope angle component is because avalanches are pretty rare on slopes less than 30 degrees. And they're really, really rare, almost never on slopes less than 25 degrees. Avalanches are very common on slopes in the neighborhood of 35 to 40 degrees. You know, just going from 30 degrees, where avalanches are say 29, where avalanches are pretty rare, to 35 degrees, 36, and especially right around 37, 38 degrees, where avalanches are really, really common. Like Doug Chabot is the director for the Avalanche Center here, and I go out with Doug a lot, and even though Doug can, can tell you what the slope angle is typically within a couple of degrees just by guessing, because he's measured so many slope angles, he's still got his inclinometer with him because it's even a big difference whether you're at 34 degrees or 37 degrees, you know, so those few degrees make a big difference, especially when things are unstable. You know, if you're going out in the backcountry and you're going there to make turns, and you're an intermediate skier or better, you're probably going into avalanche train. I mean, like a steeper blue run or easier black run is right about where avalanche train begins. In the United States, and especially Montana still, our mapping is um, not fine enough. It's too coarse to actually be able to really accurately nail down what slope angles are. If your underlying data are not Good enough and are not fine enough, then um, the slope angles won't be accurate enough within those couple of degrees that you need to uh, be able to use and might be somewhat misleading for some people. We have had avalanche fatalities in October and we've had avalanche fatalities in May, you know, so we've had them in the beginning of the year and the end of the year. Now, in the early part of the year, what we find is that um, you know, typically we'll get, like we have right now, we'll get some early season snow, maybe the wind will blow. And if someone goes out to go backcountry skiing, they're going to want to go to where the most snow is. So that's where the most loading has taken place. That's also probably where it's the most unstable. And if you trigger an avalanche in an area like that, you probably are going to get drugged down past this little slope and into the rocks. So we've had a number of people get, you know, pretty badly injured in the early season by getting caught in relatively small avalanches. You know, later in the season, it's it's really dependent on the season. Like some seasons, like December might be really unstable. And then maybe, you know, maybe it'll be okay in February. And then maybe in March, it gets really unstable again. But there sort of tends to be a progression during the year of, situations where it's unstable and stable and unstable. You know, a lot of the avalanche accidents we see are kind of between mid-December and say mid-February, but we still see plenty of avalanches both, you know, and accidents before then and after then. I think that's just tends to be the intersection of when the most people are out and we still have pretty unstable snow. So in the spring, typically what happens is, you know, we go through a bunch of freeze-thaw cycles. We move water through the snowpack. And after that water has moved through the snowpack long enough, um, the snow just adjusts to this fact that we have water moving through it and it's refreezing and stuff. And we end up with kind of a, we almost call it like a summer snowpack. The other thing that we worry about in the spring sometimes is The very first time that the water starts moving through the snowpack, it can actually pool in areas that were weak layers earlier in the season. So sometimes those uh, deeply buried faceted layers, uh, depth whore and things like that, the first time the water gets through that layer and starts running on that layer, if we get enough warm weather right then, we can get full depth avalanches that are just enormous and and super, super dangerous. You just don't want to go near anything because you're getting these these big wet slab avalanches. Uh, Daily thaw, nightly freeze. Daily thaw, nightly freeze. And we'd call it corn, corn skiing. You're probably hiking up when it's rock hard and you're using crampons and ice axe and everything else. You get to the top You wait till it softens up just right, and when you get that little bit of soft snow on top, then you ski it down with just that nice, uh, soft corn snow on top, and then you want to be off it before that soft snow gets thick enough that you trigger a bigger avalanche. Perfect conditions for a lot of these big mountain objectives that people want to do is often in the spring, and it's after your snow, is into sort of that spring melt thaw cycle. And then you get up there when it's hard, you wait till it's soft, you ski it and you get out. You're sinking in past your boot tops, then it's time to click in and head down. I enjoy, you know, midwinter skiing on relatively mellow slopes in the powder. I enjoy sort of those long tours and getting it to those places that are a little bit more out of the ordinary and and skiing off peaks when we can. You need to talk about avalanche safety, but you also need to uh, make people aware that now's not the time to go out and get hurt. I know that last spring, um, you know, when when the COVID numbers were starting to rise and we didn't know where that rise was gonna end, there was a lot of talk about, hey, as a community, like we need to really dial things back and we need to be careful. We're really concerned about that, you know. Um, you just look at the summer use. I mean, some of these people, some of the forest service folks I've talked to say that the summer use in some areas was up, you know, 100, 200, 300% over normal, you know, which is crazy. You know, the good thing is is that the avalanche centers are geared up for, I mean, everything they do is scalable. So it's like they produce an avalanche forecast but it's not like the avalanche forecast can only go out to 60 people. You know, it can go out to 60 people, 600, 6,000, 60,000, because it's all just out there on the web. And as long as there's enough, um, you know, as long as we don't break the internet, you can, uh, anybody can get the advisory. And, and I think this winner is going to be one of those winners too, where you might not want to, you know, take those extra chances or go for that big peak. It might be the winter where you're just, uh, we call it meadow skipping, you know? You're just going on low angle terrain and going out for a nice tour and enjoying the mountains and stuff, but um, kind of dialing that risk back a little bit. The whole avalanche community and the whole ski community, like the ski industry and everything, we're all a little concerned about how things are gonna take out this year, but um, yeah you know, hopeful that folks will take things seriously and not get too crazy and be careful. Visit mtavalanche.com for the avalanche advisory and educational calendar and links to available courses and come back to thelastbestski.com to get the scoop on skiing in southwest Montana. Until next time, happy trails!